I love Palm Sunday, you guys, because my son, Isaiah, was born on Palm Sunday. So I have like so many fond memories of this day. You know, it's so funny. Um, well, the, the, this isn't a funny part, but my wife's labor was like two and a half days long, basically. <laughs> so it was a long time, wasn't it, my love? Yeah. And, uh, oh, it was good. It was like Palm Sunday. We were just, we were rejoicing. We were so happy Isaiah was here. And, and uh, you know, God sovereignly named my son. Like, legitimately. Like, woke me up at 3 o'clock in the morning and said, you're going to have a son. His name is going to be Isaiah. He's going to be a deliverance prophet. And he's going to close the mouths of the lions and make the crooked places straight. We didn't even know the gender of the kid. And I said, Lord, I can't tell people that. What if it's not a boy? Then they'll think I'm a false prophet. And he said, have faith and trust in me. And then here was my follow-up question. I said, well, God, what if I don't want to name my son Isaiah? (laughs) That's the kind of talks I have with the Lord sometimes. And he said, well, there's always a choice, but I have spoken. That's what he told me, y'all. I said, okay, well, I guess we're having a boy and his name is going to be Isaiah. And uh, I was crying in my bed. It was about 3 o'clock in the morning. I remember Allison said, what happened? I said, well, you got to ask the Lord because I'm scared. She said, no, you tell me. I said, okay, well, God said we're going to have a boy. His name's going to be Isaiah. And I was like bracing for impact because I thought she was going to say, like, I don't like that name because she had shot all of my other hipster names down. And I was like, man, I got some good names. I got a good list. I had a great list, y'all. She didn't like any of them. And then she was like, well, okay, I guess his name's Isaiah. Then rolled over, went back to sleep. All right. So we did not even have a name for this boy uh, when he was born. It, we had Isaiah, and that was it. We're like, okay, Isaiah Phillips, what, what is his middle name going to be? It's got to be something good. And he was born on Palm Sunday, and so in the hospital room, I was reading the story of the triumphal entry of Jesus, and we made the decision there to name him Isaiah Triumph after the triumphal entry of Jesus, which is what we're singing about today. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. It's about the triumphal entry. And I love that so much. I love the fact that Jesus did not stop during the triumphal entry and say, you know what? This would be a great place to take an offering. Right? Peter, get get the offering buckets out. James, get the email list going. We got to make sure that people sign up because I know I'm about to go to the cross. So I might as well stop here when people are praising me. It's about time I got the respect I deserve after walking on water and raising people from the dead. We're going to stop right here and I'm going to preach the gospel and we're going to get a few more souls saved before I go to the cross. But no, Jesus didn't say a word. Quietly. He rode through this moment of praise because he understood that his purpose was to go beyond the praise of people. Right? He understood something. His purpose was to go beyond the praise of people to a place of pouring out on the cross. This is how you know you're headed towards your purpose because it's a place of pouring out. It's no longer about you. It's about you pouring out to other people. But so many people get derailed in their purpose because they stop when they start getting some praise. They stop. There's like everybody. Yeah, that's right. Everybody. That's what I. That's what they're supposed to say. Bring it up. Yep. Come on. 
See, a lot of people think problems can derail you from your purpose, but I think problems actually help to clarify my purpose. I see the most point where people get derailed is the praise of people. Because just because you're getting praise doesn't mean you're living your purpose. Just because people are saying, hey, boy, hey, good job, man, that was fire, doesn't mean you're living in your purpose. Because what Jesus did, he didn't, allow, he didn't allow the praise of people to derail him from his purpose. He said, that's great. I appreciate you guys acknowledging this. We're fulfilling a prophetic moment. But I am moving on and moving forward into that place where I know I'm supposed to be. Thank God for that. Amen. That's not even a part of this message. I just thought it was good today, so I wanted to share it with you. Today, um, I'm actually going to talk about another event during Holy Week, which is the event of the Passover. How many of you have heard about the Passover before, right? Well, Jesus actually celebrates Passover as one of his final acts with his friends before he goes to the cross, which I think is pretty spectacular if you think about it because Jesus is essentially on death row here. Like he knows it, right? When we talk about taking up our cross and following Jesus, we start to think about that as like a necklace. It's like, you know, oh man, I got my cross necklace on. Well, that is the modern equivalent of wearing an electric chair on your necklace. All right? This is a tool of capital punishment. And Jesus knows that he is within hours of the cross. He knows that's his purpose. And so think about what you would be doing your final hours, your final night on death row. What meal would you request? Chick-fil-A. You get that number two. And you know I'm ordering extra nuggets on the side. And you know that's happening with some honey roasted barbecue. So, hey. <laughs> but, but see, it's, it's, it's very interesting to me that Jesus says, no, no, no. I, I, I know that I'm within hours of the cross, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to celebrate with my friends by being obedient to God. You guys ready for this? Let's dive in. Luke chapter 22, if you're there. Luke chapter 22. We're going to read verse 7 through 20. If you're there, say, that's me. Okay, wow, sword drills. Somebody get them a quick gift from the gift basket. Those were always the worst gifts in Sunday school. You remember that? We got to do better than that. Luke chapter 22. If you're just going to read it off the screen, say, that's me. I like your style. All right, Luke chapter 22, let's go there. Verse 7 through 20. Got 13 scriptures today. It's going to be fun. You guys ready? All right. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. And they said to him, where will you have us prepare it? He said to them, behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters and tell the master of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room that I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Could we all acknowledge how weird this is? I mean, really, if you think about it, Jesus tells his friends, hey, I want you to go into the city. And then when you see somebody there with a water jug, just follow them into their house. (laughs) That's strange, man. I mean, if somebody just followed me into my house, I'd be like, get out of here right now. But Jesus understood that whenever they spoke up and said, hey, the master says, right? The teacher says, the Messiah says, the one who's come, the one who has come says, 
They're gonna, he's gonna eat the Passover here uh, with his friends. Then the guy said, okay, yep, I'm gonna show you a large upper room furnished and you're gonna prepare the meal there. And they went and found it just as they had told him and they prepared the Passover. Now, preparing the Passover, guys, was not like swinging through a drive-thru. This was not fast food. This was something that took a little time to prepare. It was something meticulous because God had laid out ordinances to the children of Israel to show them precisely and exactly how they were to prepare the Passover lamb because this was a sacred ceremony that the Jewish people were celebrating their deliverance from slavery in Egypt. It's kind of like our 4th of July, but way better and way more significant. Yes, sure, we, you know, we declared our independence, but these guys, man, they were set free of 400 years of oppression. They were set free from 400 years of slavery, being worked to the bone, being abused and oppressed, and God sovereignly set them free, and when they came out of Egypt, he said, here's what you're going to do. I'll go back to Luke 22 in a second, but Exodus 12 and 14 says, this day shall be a memorial day and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. How many of you guys like to feast? I do. I love the fact that every time God proclaims a festival, it has a meal attached. That's the Lord, right? And so that's what we see happening here is that Jesus said, hey, there's a feast about to happen because we're going to celebrate Passover, right. right? And God commands that we celebrate this meal together. And so he sends his friends, hey, you guys, you know, go prepare this feast. Hey, be meticulous with it. Follow all of the ordinances of the law because this is very important that we as a family, we as Jewish people, we as Israelites come together and we celebrate the day of deliverance that God brought to us by, by eating this Passover meal together right. as a family, right. as a community. And you think all the meals he may have chosen, why didn't, he, why didn't he call it, you know, like, Mom, come hang with me. My brothers, Joseph, my dad, come hang with me. I'm about to die tomorrow. But he doesn't do that. You know, why not? I, I love whenever he says, hey, anybody who does the will of my father is my brothers and my sisters. Right. Instead of going to his natural family, which he could have done, he went to his spiritual family and said, on my last night before my crucifixion, I'm going to celebrate this feast with my spiritual family. That's pretty awesome, don't you guys think? I love the fact that, you know, when he met with the woman at the well, you know, he ended up telling his disciples, he said, hey, I have food that you don't even know about because my bread is to do the will of my father. And on a night whenever he could have said, man, scrap the law. I'm not listening to that old law. This is my last night before I'm crucified. I want something else. I want to have a little fun. I want to do something for myself. Instead of being selfish, he practiced the sacred by obeying God and celebrating the Passover meal. He said, hey, my food is to do the will of my father. My meal is to obey God. This is whenever I'm getting sustenance is when I'm saying yes. So on his last night, when he could have been doing anything, he surrendered and he yielded and he went through the routine of his community. When he was going through hell and high water, he didn't break the tradition. He came to church on Sunday. Right? He just kept up with the routine because even though it was his routine, it was anything but routine. Even though it was his tradition, it was anything but just traditional. Right. Come on. That's really good. 
Even though it seemed basic from the outside, what was on it was nothing basic whatsoever. Because here he is. He's sitting at this. He's sitting at this. Every now and then, Kentucky works its way into the message. Miracles in the name of the Lord. He's sitting. He's sitting at this table. And he's celebrating. You guys, you, are you guys into this story as much as I am today? I'm telling you, man, this is a good story. And so he's sitting at the table. And uh, it, says, it says right here, and when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. I love that the Bible refers to his disciples in this moment as the apostles. As the apostles with him, and he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Can you imagine those words coming out of Jesus' mouth? Like he's like, you're my friends. I'm about to die tomorrow, and I have looked at this day. I have looked ahead at this meal, and I've earnestly desired. The way that the Greek says it is that I've desired that I have desire. It's like I've doubled down on my desire to be with my family because right before I suffer, I want to be with my brothers. I have earnestly, I've been waiting for this hour. I've been waiting for this moment. I'm going to have a little bit of reprieve before I suffer. I'm going to have a moment of joy before I'm nailed to a cross. I'm going to have a moment of communion and connection with my family before I die. You think about all the last meals that you could, you know, conjure up wanting to have before your time on this earth is finished. And here is Jesus saying, before I'm crucified, what I want more than anything else is time with you. Before I go to the grave, what I want more than anything else is communion with my kids. I mean, this is such an amazing picture of how Jesus sees us and how he desires that he desires that he desires to fellowship with you. He said, I'm earnestly desiring to eat this meal with you because I'm about to suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. This is my last meal. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves, for I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine, he says it again, until the kingdom of God comes. He said, Look, I've eaten, I won't eat again. I've drank, I won't be drinking again. Until the kingdom of God comes. Now, this is interesting. Anybody ever been to a Passover Seder meal before? Ever been to one of those? It's very cool. I would encourage you to go. One of my friends is actually uh, conducting one here in the city. His name is Rabbi Jason uh, Sobel, and uh, he's an amazing guy from L.A. He's a good friend of Allison and ours. We've known him for a number of years. He actually just recently wrote a book with Kathy Lee Gifford called Walking the Holy Land. It's it's, it's been a, a big deal, and he's doing one here in the city. If you can get to it, totally recommend it. It's going to be super powerful. He's a Messianic Jew, and he is wicked smart. Those of you guys who have seen Goodwill Hunting. And um, it, he's, he's awesome. And so we, we talk a lot about like Jewish traditions. I love to hear from him like, hey, what do Jewish people think about this? And what we're seeing here happen, guys, is we're seeing the traditional Seder meal be carried out led by Jesus. And so up until this moment, Jesus has been celebrating a tradition that we refer to as Passover, okay? So he's given them, them the bread. They're eating of the bread. He takes the cup, and then he says, hey, I want you to divide it amongst yourselves because this is the the last thing that they do in the tradition. I've celebrated the Seder before, and the last cup is called the cup of completion. So what Jesus is saying is like, here you go. Here's the cup of completion. 
Share it among yourselves. Here you go. Share it. Share it. Share the complete. It's complete. It, you know what it also means in Hebrew thought? Uh, I'm taking you for myself. He said, it's done. It's done. It's the Passover right here. Take it. Take it. I'm taking you for myself. I'm taking you for myself. It's complete. It's finished. Doesn't that sound familiar? It's finished. Hey, I'm not going to have this again until the kingdom of heaven is, it's in kingdom, of, kingdom of God comes. Take it. It's complete. It's complete. Okay, we've completed the ceremony. We've completed the ceremony. We, we've celebrated deliverance from oppression. Now we're about to start another one. We, we, we've completed the ceremony. We're celebrating 400 years, being set free of 400 years from external slavery. Okay, now we're about to celebrate another one. We're about to start a new ceremony right now. Man, we're, 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 it's complete. It's finished. It's, it's over. It's done. We've, we, we've done what God asked us to do. We've done what Yahweh commanded us to do in Exodus, but now a new commandment I give to you. A new ceremony I'm about to start. See, this is what we refer to as the Eucharist. So if you keep reading, so you don't actually see this when you're just reading it quickly through the story, but what we recognize here is that Jesus fulfills the Passover. How many of you guys know Jesus is the Passover lamb? How many of you guys know that when his cousin, John the Baptist, by the Spirit of God, saw him walking to come to get baptized, he said, behold, the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. What he was confessing is we've been celebrating this feast of the Passover lamb that when we take its blood and apply it to the doorpost, then death passes over us. Well, this is the lamb. This is the one and for all. This is the Passover lamb whose blood is going to take away the sins of the world. Not just that, the de- that death would pass over us once a year, but that death would be done for all time. It would be finished. It would be complete. This is the Passover lamb that God has provided. Isn't that awesome? Man, it, it had to be such meticulous care taken of this, this lamb. In, in the Old Testament, Exodus, you know, God said, look, when you find this lamb, this lamb has to be a special lamb. This can't be, this can't be your worst. This can't be, you know, the, the, the runt of the litter. This has got to be your best. I want you to look amongst all the lambs you got, and I want you to get your best. I want you to get the best lamb, and that's the one you're going to prepare. So when God picks Jesus, he says, looks at humanity. He said, let me look for the spotless, the sinless, the blameless, the best, the one in which nothing, he's never done anything wrong. He picks the best because he's the only one that can atone, right? And, and, and in the Bible, it says, it shall have no blemish. It can't even have a spot on it. I mean, it's got to look perfect. It's got to be perfect. And, and, and we, we, we know that Jesus is the Passover lamb because 1 Peter 1 and 19 says, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. This is how we know that Christ is our Passover lamb, amen? Because Christ was without blemish. Even though he was tempted in every way that we're tempted, he never sinned. He never felt short, fell short. He never missed the mark. He was without spot or without blemish. So it took a little while. I got to find this lamb. I got to find this lamb. Not only can this lamb not have a blemish, but also when you prepare this lamb, I want you to be careful because in the process of preparing this meal, don't break any of the bones. You can't break any of the bones. See, this is a special lamb. Don't break a single bone. The way you do that has to be prepared exactly in accordance with the ordinance. 
Well, in John chapter 19, verse 36, it says, For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. This is how we know that Jesus is, in fact, the Passover lamb. They came to him on the cross. They said, man, break his legs. You guys remember this? They sent the soldiers. They said, break his legs so that he dies quicker. We've already beaten him. It's causing an uproar in the community. Go and break his legs so we can finish this thing. They went to go do it. He was already dead. This fulfilled the scripture that Jesus is the Passover lamb, that not even one of his bones were broken, despite being beat within an inch of his life, despite being crucified and hung up high and dying, not one of his bones were ever broken because he was prepared by God to the exact specifications of the law because Jesus said, I'm not gonna eat and I'm not gonna drink until it is fulfilled. So Jesus came with the purpose as the Passover lamb, which was to fulfill the Passover ordinance. Every specification, every single thing that the law demanded, Jesus Christ became himself so that he could fulfill it. And he says, oh yeah, I know that you guys are celebrating 400 years of slavery and you're celebrating your deliverance, but now what I'm telling you is, is that a greater deliverance is here. I'm starting a new ceremony because, man, that must have been crazy, right? Like generation upon generation, like systemic slavery and oppression, and you got free from that? It's worthy of a feast. Something greater than that is here. Because I'm talking about a continual festival of the body and the blood of Jesus. And that's why, that's why Jesus, you guys, you guys got your communion cup, right? That's why Jesus, so he took the bread he took the bread, right? He got the bread. We're, we're going to take communion during the sermon today. Is that okay? Have, you, have you, got, you guys okay with this so far? It's a little teachy. It's a little teachy. Are you cool with it? So, hey, y'all, I got so full this week. I was studying this. I mean, so full of the Holy Spirit. I was just, I, you, know, you know it's going to be a good message for you when you cry. I'm like, woo, it's going to be good. <laughs> the bread. Man. Come on, Holy Ghost. So, like, I finished preaching this the first time. I felt like my hands were shaking. I was like, man, what is happening? Because it's so nourishing. So Jesus is sitting there with his friends, sitting there with his friends. And and it says he reclines at the table with his apostles. His apostles. Apostles are people. See, this is a Roman term. You probably know this, but this is a Roman term. It's, It's essentially the culture carriers. Why does he pick this moment to call these people, you're going to carry my culture? But see, the first thing that you need to know if you're going to carry my culture is this. You got to get this. You're going to have to get the body. You're going to have to get the blood. And then I'm going to have to wash your feet because you're going to see how kingdom culture starts. It starts in the dirt. It starts with serving. It starts with sacrifice. It starts with love. It starts with humility. It starts with brokenness. And Jesus, he pulls, he pulls the bread. Right, he pulls, he gets the bread, and then he looks around and he said, "This right here, this right here, guys, this is my, this is my body." He takes, he says, "This is my body, which I give to you. Do this, do this in memory of me." God said to the Israelites, "Hey, I want you to have this festival once a year." Jesus said, hey, I want you to have this memory every day. Every single time you eat, 
Every single time you have a meal, every single time you sit down to break bread with your tribe, I want you to break that bread and I want you to remember, oh, this is like the body of Jesus. This right here is like the body of Jesus that was broken open for me that I could share with, with my people. This cup right here, this is like the blood of Jesus that was poured out so that my sins could be forgiven. I have a continual festival. I have a consistent celebration every single day that I sustain myself. I do so in memory of what Jesus has set me free from, which is greater than the deliverance of the Old Testament. It's a deliverance from sin. It's a deliverance from shame. It's a deliverance from death. It's a deliverance from everything. Ha, <laughs> that the enemy tries to lock me down and enslave me and oppress me, I'm free. That's why the early church, every time they got together, they said, man, we know the practice of going to temple. Well, now we're gonna have our own services. What is the central focus? It's not gonna be the man. It's gonna be the meal. It's not gonna be the man of God. It's gonna be the meal of God. <laughs> That's how you know the difference between a cult and a church. A cult gathers around the man of God. A church gathers around the word of God. And he said, man, we're coming around the word. Oh, you ain't, you ain't, really, you ain't really preaching that good? It's all right. We got a meal. Oh, you're not, you're not really singing that good? It's okay. It's not about my preferences anyway. It's about this bread. I, 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 that's all right. That's cool. I didn't come to church for you anyway. I came to church for the meal. I came to church for the blood. I came to church for the body. I came to church for Jesus. So Jesus, he breaks the bread and he says, here it is. Do this in memory of me. And, and then likewise, after they had eaten, he said, hey, take the cup right here. And I want you to remember the body was broken. Everybody say broken. broken. But the cup is poured. Everybody say poured. The, the blood, the blood is going to be poured out for you. The blood is going to be poured out for you. And this is the new covenant in my blood. That's what it is. The body has been broken, but the cup has been poured. Now, I realize that it's so easy to get distracted by all of the good principles that we preach and teach today and everything that we feast on aside from Jesus himself, but, you know, the Christian life and how to live and all the good things that we should be doing sometimes overrun our lives in such a way that we neglect or we forget about the things that we did at first. We neglect or we forget the body of Christ. We neglect or we forget the blood of Jesus. And we think, oh, you know, I heard that in Sunday school. I heard that in ministry school. I heard that a decade ago. I heard that 40 years ago. I'm beyond that now. I'm past that now. I'm moving on from that now. Guys, this is why Jesus said every time you get together, every time you eat, every time you take drink, do this in memory of me because you cannot forget this. This is the essence of your faith. This is the essence of the abundant life that you've been given. It is the bread and it is the blood. This is the essence of your practice and why you gather and why you worship Jesus and why you are a Christian. It's because of the cross and because of what the cross accomplished. And that's what Jesus is saying. Hey, don't forget this. 
You're gonna learn a lot of good stuff, but you can't forget this because this is the foundation. This is what everything is built on. If you forget this, you're gonna lose the power. You're gonna lose the potency. You're gonna lose the strength of what the new covenant is really all about. And the new covenant is about, it's bloody, man. It's about brokenness. It's about sacrifice. It's about humility. It's about these things that people don't wanna talk about when you're you know, building your empire and doing everything to look good on the outside. But you have to remember this. You have to remember this. This is the essence. This is the essence. Now, we're going to take the bread here in just a moment, but let me say this to you. Jesus gave, this bread is symbolic. Jesus gave his body for you. Gave his body for you. If you've seen the passion of the Christ, maybe you have a mental picture in your head. If you've not, I'm recognizing a lot of people, you know, haven't seen that movie. Some people don't want to watch that movie. You know, they're like, dude, I, I, can't, I can't deal with that. I don't even, I don't even want to see that, man. It's, just, it's too rough. But, but the, the, the images is, is, is the initiation of the covenant. This is, what we, this is what started it all, right? That, that, let that sink in. It'll mess with you a little bit. See, nobody likes to remember that we're all born in the funk. <laughs> this is where it all starts. Everybody likes to look all pristine on the outside. Oh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm blessed and highly favored. Praise the Lord. I'm doing so good. I'm great. I'm awesome. I look great. Been doing whole 30. Right? But it's, it's in the beginning. It's in the... The color's changed. On <laughs> it's in the dirt. It's in the bread, right? And so, so when, 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 Jesus, when Jesus gave his body for you, I mean, he could have accomplished deliverance from sin through his blood, but he wants more than to take your sin away from you. He wants to take everything going on with your physical body from you as well. He wants to take your disease from you. He wants to take your sickness from you. He wants to take every single ailment, every single pain, everything you got in your physical body. Jesus didn't die just to be your spiritual salvation. Jesus, Jesus gave his body to be your physical salvation. And that's why whenever he went to the post to be flogged, there's a tool called the flagrum, right? That's the tool that they use. It's a leather whip. It's got cat and nine tails, they called it. It's, it's got uh, lead and, 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 and metal and glass in, a, in the tip of a leather whip. And they, and they would beat the people so badly. That, and it, the whole design is that, that it would rip the skin off of the back and it would expose the bone. And severe blood loss would take place. And oftentimes when they flogged people like this, they would die right there. They would die right there. And if they didn't die right there, they would pass out from extreme blood loss. And then they would have to have help to get to the place of their crucifixion, which is exactly what we see happening to Jesus as he receives 39 lashes on his back until his skin is ripped from his bones and in the bone is exposed and blood loss is taking place to such. I mean, this is a gruesome encounter, but this is what Jesus chose to do for you so that you could be healed in your physical body. Then they didn't, they didn't even, they didn't even stop there. They mocked him. They made fun of him. They, 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 were, they, they were in his face. They hit him. They plucked his beard off from his face. And then they took a crown of thorns and they pressed it through his scalp. Like you get this image and you understand there's the significance of the bread. Yes. 
because it is, it is symbolic of the body that was broken so that you could be physically made whole. Jesus gave you his body so that you could be whole in your body. First Peter 2 and 24 said, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that he might die to sin and live to righteousness. What's that last part? By his wounds you have been healed. Jesus is our physical salvation. This was prophesied long before he arrived on the scene. Psalm 103.3 said, He forgives all my sins and heals all of my diseases. This is what salvation means. It means body, soul, and spirit. When we neglect a meal, when we neglect the Last Supper, when we neglect the ceremony that Jesus initiated, the Apostle Paul tells us what's hap- what happens in 1 Corinthians 11.30. This is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have even died because you've neglected the bread, the body. You've neglected the Eucharist. You've neglected what I put in place for you to celebrate and to receive. So I want you to take the bread. I want you to take the wafer that you have, and I want you to break it. And as you break it, I want you to, I want you to remember the brokenness of Jesus for you. I want you to receive it. And be healed in your body. The Lord Jesus heals you. In Jesus' name right now, the Lord Jesus heals you. If you're in pain, if you have a terminal illness, if there's something going on in your physical body, the Lord Jesus heals you right now. If you have a, 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 an injury, broken limb, you have something wrong, you can't walk well, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. It, it, it just covers everything. You don't, you don't need a word of knowledge for Jesus to heal you through his body. That's exactly why he gave his body for you. So be healed in your body. Uh, Kelly, if you want to come and do keys, that's fine. I, I'm, I want to wrap up here. I know I'm going o- over time a little bit, but... I think it's worth it today on Palm Sunday. So get the cup because this is what Jesus said. Jesus said, hey, the bread is broken, but the cup is poured out. The, the, the blood is poured out. You guys remember that moment the soldier cut his side and then what flowed out said blood and water. Blood and water. Yeah, I mean, the blood there covers all of your sin. The water, man, that refreshes you when, when you're tired, that that fills you up when you have no strength. Like Jesus, he poured out his blood for you and I. And he gave his body so that you could be healed on the outside. But he gave his blood so that you could be healed on the inside. You know, how many of you guys know, you can do a whole lot of work on your outside all by yourself. You can get in shape. You can try to convince the world that everything's going well. But we need a savior to deal with the problem that's going on deep down on the inside of our DNA. Because I'm a carrier. Whether I like it or not, I'm born into sin and shaping in iniquity. Like whether I like it or not, I've been born with an innate desire, a proclivity to do what is wrong, to sin. Like all of us are born in this way, every single one of us. And we can do a whole lot of work on the outside. But we need something else. We need something else to be poured out for our salvation so I could get right on the inside. The bread, that deals with the outside, man. deals with the flesh. Sickness is to the body what sin is to the soul. A doctor can't deal with your sin problem. A psychologist can't counsel you out of your sin problem. No medication can heal you of your sin problem. Nobody can stop you from 
the behavioral patterns that you've been suffering. Somebody has to save you from that, and his name is Jesus. And that's why Paul said, and I know that nothing good lives in me. This is my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. He said, it's sin that's living in me. How many of you guys have ever been there before? You're like, dude, I'm trying to do right. I'm trying to live right. I'm trying to break the addictions. I'm trying to stop looking at that. I'm trying to stop dating that dude. I'm trying to stop going out with that girl. I'm trying to stop doing, but I keep doing it. I don't know what's going on with me. I keep doing it. I, I'm, try, I'm, I'm doing everything I can because you can't do it in your own strength. You need the blood that was poured out for you so that you could be healed and set free and saved from your sin so that you're healed from the inside out so you don't even have the desire anymore. That's what Jesus came to do. And that's what the blood, that's what the blood does. Because of the blood, you have been cleansed from all of your sin. Amen? You, when, when you get covered by the blood... You get cleansed from your sin. That means that God looks at you the same way he looks at Jesus. He doesn't look at you and say, "Ah, look at your past. You're a little messed up. You messed up a lot more than that person. Get to the back of the line. You know, God is fully aware of your past, but he loves you like he isn't. He fully knows every single thing you ever did wrong, and he loves you just like he doesn't. And that's the blood of Jesus. He, look, he looks at you and he says, oh, my son, my daughter. You're like, what are you talking about? I'm messed up. I got a broken limb. I screwed up. These are my own mistakes. This isn't even people that have sinned against me. This is my own sin. This is the stuff I knew I was doing wrong, and I did it anyway. I knew you were speaking to me. I, I didn't even care. Like, you can't accept me. And he said, no, no, I, I, I don't not accept you on the basis of your mistakes. I'm accepting you on the basis of the blood of my son. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7 says, He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and he forgave our sins. Not only have you been forgiven, but you also have been given direct access to God as a result of the blood. Hebrews 10 and 19. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. Every single time the enemy says, you are so disqualified from talking to God, the blood of Jesus speaks a better word. Every single time you condemn yourself and you say, man, I'm not worthy to go in and talk to God, the blood of Jesus speaks a better word. Every single time that your own shame tries to disqualify you from the presence of God, the blood of Jesus speaks a better word. You ever come to a place of praying for somebody? He said, man, can you pray for me? He said, man, I would, but I ain't been spending time with the Lord. I ain't got nothing to say. I don't have anything to pray. The blood of Jesus speaks a better word. You couldn't heal them anyway. Even if you were fired up and focused, even if you'd been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, you couldn't heal them anyway. The blood of Jesus speaks a better word. Because of the blood, you're covered. You're protected. Exodus 12, 13. And, I, and when I see, see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you. Isn't it good that your own behavior is not what brings you your protection? Man, I've been doing right. I deserve to be protected. What? I'm in warfare. See, every, we get surprised by warfare whenever we, we declare our own righteousness to be our protection. We're so confused, like, man, I thought I was doing good. And God said, it was never your good behavior that kept you protected. It's always been my blood. See, you've forgotten that. You need to get under the blood again. You need to get under the covering again. You need to remember. You need to get back in that ceremony and take that cup and remember because my blood has been poured out for you, you've been protected by me. You're not living well because you did good. You're living well because the blood covers you, protects you. 
Because of the blood, you have authority over the devil. Revelation 12 and 11. They triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb. And by the word of their testimony, they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. This is what Jesus did when he gave us his blood. And that's why Jesus stood up and said, guys, listen, I'm going to preach a sermon that's going to turn into a ceremony. John chapter 6, he said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will have no life in you. You got to enter into that new covenant life. You got to enter into that sacrificial life. You got to enter into that place where there's brokenness and there's blood and there's mess and there's muck and there's funk and there's dirt and smelly and all kinds of bad stuff. You, you ever been in a labor and delivery room? It's not the place you take selfies. That's, that, see, that's where the covenant is created, by the blood. That's where it starts. And that's where Jesus said, this is where my, my blood's going to be poured out for you. Right here in this initiation of this covenantal ceremony called the Last Supper. Because you don't just, you know, need the blood. Like, I, I, I want you. I desire you. I'm bringing you into the family. I'm bringing you into the fold. Yeah, I see what you did wrong, Judas. I saw, I, I see, I see you about to sell me out. Hey, look, get in here. Hey, I'm gonna wash your feet too. Oh, you're gonna sell me out for 30 pieces? So let me wash your feet. Here's a cup. Here's a cup, Judas. Oh, you're gonna, you're gonna sell me out? You're gonna stab me in the back? You're gonna gossip against me? You're gonna beat me up? You're gonna lie on me? Hey, here's a body for you too. <laughs> 